Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony! How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 11 of the Corona Diaries. Um, mm. The ever youthful Mr. Steve Hogarth is sat in front of me on screen, though slightly obscured by his new pop shield that he uh, very, very impressed with. Uh, how are you this morning, H? I'm I'm slightly obscured, thank you. Yes, you are. Um, uh, but but probably uh, no, I'm well. I'm well. Unlike you, who was at the mojitos yesterday, y- I yes. was I was clean and serene. Uh, and uh, I'd like to say I feel much better for it, but I'm not convinced I do. Um, I've found that you know having a day off the drink isn't enough to make you feel great. You need a fortnight, really. And uh, well, it's not likely to happen. It's a big commitment. Um, that that is a big commitment. Easy to make as you throw a leg out of bed in the morning, but round about five in the evening, much harder to keep. I find becomes troublesome. I was trying to persuade Lynetta into a G and T last night, even though we'd both said we wouldn't drink yesterday. We'll have a day off. Yes, we will. Die. Yes, good idea. Give the liver a rest. Yes, absolutely. We're not getting any younger. No, we're not. Good point. And we are going to have a heavy weekend. Yes, we are. And we did get hammered last night. Yes, we did. We'll have a day off. Come tea time. You sure we couldn't have one little GNT? No, she said, because she's got self-control and I haven't. Right. But, I, but we did have a day off. She um, shamed me into uh, staying off the sauce. But today, oh, Lord. Oh Lord <laughs> we've got people coming round. It's going to be murder. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've got Alison's mum and dad coming round later on, uh, oh, yeah. and, and 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 so I'm going to be drinking, right? Whatever, you, yeah, I I'll understand. be drinking. I you, understand. You, you, you know where I'm coming from. I know exactly where yes. you're coming from. Yes, so that's that's fine. And they they don't listen to this, so that's that's fine. <laughs> and and to be honest, I'd probably tell them anyway. So yeah. uh, so yes, um, big news this week, big mm. breaking news: couch convention. Yes. Yes, that's going to be different. Mm. It's going to be different. It's going to be like uh, our uh, our Glastonbury, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Doing, I don't know if they're doing it because they found out about ours or whether we're be. doing it because we found out about theirs. But we have been ripped off in the past. We have been ripped off. And we've invented things without realising we'd invented them that other people have then nicked. I can think of at least three. Yeah. Um, at least so that's September isn't it yes apparently we we, we got a big meeting on Monday to discuss all the ins and outs of it but it should be a lot of fun it'll be be a great opportunity for fans to get together and just goof off and you know have a little have a little little celebration and we'll get involved uh, and we'll we'll participate and we'll we'll just try and have a a remote family do it sounds lovely. It sounds a thing of, of beauty. And funnily enough, September is, I think September's my favourite month, you know. Is it? 
I like mm. the weather in September. It's normally you normally get a very nice kind of weather and bit of you get good light. Summer. You yeah. get good light in that time of year. It starts coming in sideways and everything looks movie esque. You know, I've become really conscious of light since I worked. Since going back to the dry land video, we we had a director called Howard Greenall. And he used to be constantly talking about flat light and, oh, the light's flat, oh, it's rubbish, blah, blah. And I'd never really, I'd never thought about light. But once you hang around movie makers, for any, you, you know, you start to realise what a godsend a kind of sideways light is and, and how everything suddenly looks amazing. And, and it's something you you can't pay for, you can't make it happen artificially, you know. God makes it happen, and you've got you've got to wait. So on a on a kind of cloudy, overcast day, you might as well not bother, you know, because you're not going to get anything that looks nice. But but on a on an autumn day, when the lights coming in sideways, oh my god! So that'll be you in September on the couch, light coming in sideways through the window, looking resplendent. <laughs> um, as 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 we as we you know we watch past past shows of past glory. Mm, mm. I must order velvet slippers yes. for the occasion. Actually, I think you. I think you should actually. <laughs> Some, something in something in purple. Uh, um, but there we are. Which actually, funny enough, thinking of talking, talking of things in 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 purple. Fezzes are cool. Um, uh, um, Jennifer Welling, who asked us the question about Estonia. Um, yeah. who uh, messaged this week to say thank you for answering the question and talking about Estonia. Um, we we got onto the subject of merch, um, and she suggested, because she was is now taken to listening to episodes in her core blimey trousers, that maybe some Corona Diaries core blimey trousers. Um, because they could kind of be unisexy. Oh, um, what, you could probably just do fits all. three or four sizes. Do yeah. a couple, yeah. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, maybe that's something very, we need to give some very thought loose, to. Elastic, yes, and a belt. <laughs> well, well, I also think thinking, thinking kindly about the age of a large portion. Of, <laughs> it's I a was very, talking about myself then. I wasn't being cruel. No, it's a very practical piece of you know, beta clothes. Very practical. I think maybe core blimey TCD trousers. That might be right. There. Well, let's thing. let's give that some thought. Yeah. Let's give that th- I just don't want to end up with one of my houses full of cardboard <laughs> boxes. When I, when I say one of my houses, I, 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 I'd, 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 I'd slipped off into a <laughs> parallel world there where I had many houses, but I have only got one. Yeah. Uh, so so having yeah having one of the rooms full of bloody cardboard boxes full of full of unsold core blimey trousers. It's not something I'm in, in a rush to, to get into, but so that's why I'm a bit cautious with the merch. Yeah. Uh, I think... Cu- currently in the hundreds of purple members, not the thousands of purple members. So, we could take uh, pre-orders. We could take pre-orders for core blimey trousers. That's a very practical and yeah. sensible suggestion. Well, yeah. Maybe we'll yeah, have right. to look at that. On the subject yeah. of, of merch, actually, um, I need to I need to make a small apology because we mentioned a few weeks ago about uh, a guy who'd done some had done some Corona Diaries <laughs> merch. Yes, uh, um, I think he was. I think it was Andy. I think, but I might have got the name wrong. So apologies if I got the name wrong. Um, 
and um, and I kind of misread his email. And actually, he'd he'd actually come up with some designs that he'd sent just to say, "Oh, do you and H want to have a look at these and let me know what you think?" And then, of course, oh, I steamed see. straight in with, "There's a yeah. guy making merch." I'm going to have to make a phone call because I've got the four barristers of the apocalypse winging their way to his house. <laughs> uh, so let 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 me let me call them off. <laughs> so so I'm now apologising to, and I'm sure it was Andy, but it might not have been Andy. So if I got a grief, I now think I've got his name wrong, which is going to make it even worse. But anyway, um, so Whoever we had a nice- he was. He's not doing it. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't his fault. It was mine. So, and he and he'd come up with some very nice designs, which I I, I need to share with you to have a look at. And oh, they yeah, were in, they forward, they so. were inspired by rather than actually Corona Diaries. So right. it was just inspired by. So there's a lot of purple going on, and mm. a kind of inspired by this particular podcast. Um, so you know, bits of purple, fairly random. <laughs> We've got to do a purple T-shirt, haven't we? We've got to do. We've got to do. We've got to. I mean, that's, yeah, it's churlish not to. We'll, we'll get on to that. That's we'll get on to it. And, and, uh, and, I will, and Andy, I will pass the designs on that were inspired by TCD2H to have a look at, and we will get back to you with an opinion. And apologies for any confusion I've caused. Right. I now feel better because I've not been up to sleep. Purple was originally a royal collar, wasn't it? It was, yes. it was incredibly expensive to produce purple. Um, before before they had chemical colorings and all of that and synthetic ones, so all the Roman emperors would wear purple because it was it used to cost an absolute fortune to dye anything purple. So yeah, it's a regal color. Regal. Well, I think that that talks to what we've got going on here. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, in that kind of slightly regal, slightly detached kind of thing. <laughs> That we're managing to produce. Right, anyway, on to serious stuff, because we've been rolling for seven or eight minutes. Oh, and shit, yes, 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 Yeah, yes, I haven't yes. got anywhere yet. Oh, oh. I, I wanted to talk to you about Ice Cream Genius again today, because we last time we spoke about ICG, we'd, you'd put a band together. Yes. Um, and you didn't forget anybody. No. And, no, and no. We, had, we, had the, we had the band. Clement Chucho, Dave and Rich, and Lewis, who was always late. Always late. Um, so the next thing I was going to ask was, obviously a lot of time questions come in, they come in about lyrics, but with ICG, obviously, you're responsible for the whole lot. Um, so my question actually was more on the music. How, so how long did the music take? How long was it floating around for? Mm. Did you work with other people on bits of the music? Did the band help you out with odd things? So I was going to sort of say music for ICG discuss well it was all i mean some of it was sort of fairly kind of blockheady i think i think having worked with uh, marillion for so many years i really felt compelled to to have a couple of really simple three chord guitar songs um because that would never be allowed in Marillion. It would be it would be poo pooed and frowned upon for not being nearly clever enough. Um, and so I used to sometimes just wish we could go ah 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 ah, and um, by that time, of course, I'd, I owned a couple of guitars. I'd been, as I said in the other podcast, I'd been persuaded to learn learn four chords by others. So. Uh, I, I think I brought the pink telly home and just started thrashing about with it. And um, that's where You Dinosaur Thing came from. 
Um, and until you fall as well. You know, you don't know pleasure and you don't know pain. Uh, uh, uh. So just something really, really simple in a in a three, four chord sort of rock and roll gum-chewing gum sort of style. And, and, and so I wrote Until You Fall and and um, You Dinosaur Thing on guitar, which was a first for me, and I've never done it since either. But, you know, maybe I will pick, pick this green Les Paul up one day and whack another one out. Um, so I'd got... I'd got those kind of bang bang down, but then when once once I got together with the band, I think I think Dave made a couple of a, little frilly additions to it. It changed a couple of chords and just um, made it slightly more sophisticated. Um, and at that point, he'd sort of taken over. I never found out what those chords were, so I now can't play them uh, on the guitar. On the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and he he puts all those little little twiddly bits in, doesn't he? That that I would never be able to do, in, you know, without ten years of, of intense tuition. Um, so so that the, there was that then, um, and I, which I think I just you know thrashed together at home on the pink telly, and there was. Do if I knew really like uh, again, which musically is very simple, doesn't involve you know a lot of point scoring, amazing chords. It's just you know it's like F to B flat to A flat back to F. Ding dong dong ding dong ding dong. There's those sort of Indian influences in a lot of it. That that you know, same in dinosaur thing from the strings. I liked the idea of of, of having those little Asian motifs in in, in amongst them. Um, Cage was written with a, a Kurzweil loop that. Uh, I mean, reliably, reliably informed after Cage, I think Kate Bush wrote a song with the same loop. It was a little loop that you got in the, with the Kurzweils that kind of goes, oh, it has rhythm in it, and it's quite a groovy little loop. Um, and I'd kind of, I was messing about with that. Nothing fell into the cage today. Um, and I invited um, Mike Hunter down from Liverpool, who came down to to the house in Charlton, and we we had a few days together just messing about with ideas. And Cage is the song that I think he had the most input in into. Um, it was Mike's idea to have that sort of trombone, the pap. <laughs> Mike, I think Mike wrote that. Mike, Mike wrote that little melody, um, and that was really like nothing I'd ever done, or that, that we would have done with Marillion, because back in those days, trombones were definitely banned. They may still be banned, actually. Um, 
<laughs> the devil's <laughs> instrument. <laughs> um, but but you know, no better reason to use a trombone than than the fact that it's normally banned. Um, that was Cage. Better Dreams. Um, we've talked a lot about the lyric of Better Dreams and how I'd worked on it on and off for years and years and years and kept rewriting it every time I changed my my opinion of Los Angeles. Um, and I remember one particular night in the middle of the night, I think my ex-wife had gone to bed and I was, I was downstairs, I had a, a, a music room downstairs, a little room that I used to work in. And I got the headphones on and and the Kurtz while and I must have had a little DAT running or something and and arriving at those courts which after everything I've just said of course um, they're very complex and they move around a lot so if there were prizes for moving courts around uh, then Better Dreams would probably win um, so that was something that I kind of felt my way through in the middle of the night one night and when I met I mean I'm in two minds to this day about Better Dreams that I think it musically it probably just need a tightening up a little bit it does it's a bit sprawly um and could have perhaps benefited from 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 a nip and a tuck here and there but having said that it's very wordy, so it probably needs to be given time to breathe. Um, when when Craig Leon got involved, he had this idea that I I didn't really understand it until I heard it, which was um, to have this sort of. Across it, and because what we used was my original demo that I'd done in the middle of the night, it hadn't been onto a click and it didn't have any time, it was very free and didn't really have a tempo. So, um, Craig gave Dave Gregory the job of scoring it because Dave can score strings, and he scored all his nerdums. And when we when we came to recording, who the hell played that? We must have had we must have had a quartet in to do that. I can't even remember who did it, but maybe I wasn't there. But whenever whenever that happened, because it didn't have time, it was really like pinning down smoke, um, putting the thing on top of it. Because it all had to to it all had to rigidly sit on top of my demo, which was never changed because I'd got a V in my bonnet about it being perfect. <laughs> what a twat! Um, and <laughs> you said it, so I didn't have to. <laughs> but you know, with these things, quite often you rationalise them in order to make them easier to record, and you you put a click through them, and you re-record them all to click. And they're never right after that, you know. They lose all. Uh, they can lose something. I'm, I'm sure they gain something, you know. But but they they can lose something as well. So uh, when we came to play it live, I chopped all those cellos up 
into little segments that you could play with one key. I gave it all to Richard, and his life was hell from that day forward. And he used to just look at me, giving that hooded look every night when 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 when, when I announced it. That, that would be mild mannered, generally upbeat Richard Barbieri, would it? <laughs> Wacky, wacky Richard, <laughs> as as I've often called him. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, he used to, if looks could kill, I would have died <laughs> nightly. Um, but he did pull it off by the end of the tour. He he, he was on it, but of course, uh, a week later, he, he wouldn't have been able to do it again because it was like pinning down smoke and there were no clues as to which key to hit when. But he did nail it, bless him. Uh, but it did make his life a misery and really isn't what he's about. Um, so that's how Better Dreams came together. That was me rigidly sticking to something I'd done in the middle of the night and refusing to change any aspect of it whilst uh, a bunch of other guys tried, tried to get involved and rationalise it. Um, I have to say, uh, though, if I can, if I think that was the right decision because there is something about that track and the way it moves in a fairly free, when it is in a free time that that helps with the nature of the lyric um, yeah. um you know because it is like a rationalization and it is like a you know it's got that kind of almost not karawaki but it's got that kind of feel in terms of the way the lyric goes it's slightly sprawling it's it's somebody you know looking at something from the outside and and passing comment on certain parts of it and the way it moves in and out because i'd not thought about the time until you just mentioned it but now i'm starting to think about how that track does actually float in and out and isn't in rigid time and is you know yeah it's and it's got a great melancholy about it and when that guitar comes in on Hotel California, goes around in my head, the fact that finally something has arrived that is in time is such a kind of relief. It's like it comes home. But but that's an illusion too because that wasn't in time either. It's just that Dave managed to get right across it and make it sound, you know, like it had a tempo. Um, which, you know, I mean, it was all was brilliant brilliantly brilliantly achieved by by dave gregory the the strings and the guitar playing was just so right um so have i missed have i missed a song out? oh uh, no. nothing to declare oh yeah and the evening shadows well the evening shadows was kind of a mission statement you know about being inhabited by a demon which i've often felt i am um you know this 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 thing that makes you do things that just you, you shouldn't do and and nobody in their right minds would do but but you do um you know he sleeps during the day he never thinks about the future he lives completely in the now here we go again and all of that um that i don't remember how i came upon the, those piano chords i mean just something i tiddled out one day i think and then nothing to declare was something that was in the bucket that was in the red bucket when I joined Marillion um, and I played it to them and said what about this and they all went oh no and uh, it was funny because after ICG came out Brothers came came up to me one day and said oh I really like that track nothing to declare that's fantastic and I said well you, you could have had that 
oh really you know oh really um so it's funny how once things are developed a little you know they can take on a life of their own and that song came from you drive living in windsor and driving in and out of london all the time i would drive along the drive down the m4 and and the airplanes would be coming in you know the the, the flight path Mm. they'd be landing parallel to you as you drove along uh, um, and living in Englefield Green, um, the jumbo jets come over our our house sometimes so low you'd think that we're going to have the chimneys off. Um, and I and a lot of people didn't like it, and I loved it. I love aeroplanes, and I love I love jet engine noise as well. I think it's just a it's a good noise. Um, and I will I always felt completely imbued with that sort of romantic notion of wondering where they're going. I wonder where that's going, you know. And, you know, part of me always wished I was on it. Um, And there was a song by Gallagher and Lyle called Breakaway that I I used to love back in the 70s. I watched the Red Tail Lights. Something about that's something about somebody, somebody watching someone leave on a plane. Um, fantastic song, fantastic songwriters. Um, and I think it was inspired partly by that the idea of watching a plane leave with someone on it who's got to go, you've decided they've got to go and do their own thing, and they tell you they'll be back and then they never come back. Um, so qu- quite simply that, and and I'd got those gum, gum, which I wrote on a little Yamaha drum machine that used to have a pizzicato violin sample on it, and so I programmed. Was it a QY something? QY nineteen. Yeah, it would have been a QY. Yeah. One of these li- tiny little, just put it in your pocket drum machine, which also gets a mention in that diary piece about getting arrested in Poland without my passport because I was busy I think it was work oh no I was working on Victoria's another song called Victoria Station um on that same little thing with my headphones and my little QY machine QY jelly maybe that's jelly QY maybe they were QX am I thinking now of sexual <laughs> lubricant that's KY isn't it oh that's it no they were QY then yeah KY jelly <laughs> Um, so yeah, I wrote I wrote nothing to declare on the QY. I mean, seventy or ninety. Probably had an X on the end. They liked to put an X on, didn't they? Um, and that was boom, ding, boom, dip, boom, ding, boom, ding, ding. You know, with the clunk, clunk. Um. And the Over My House Into the Clouds. I'm going to play that just to see if I can play it. Here we go. Look, Come on, work. Work, you bastard, work. The, uh... That's it, isn't it? That little run. Over my house. That was inspired by Thomas Dolby. Because it's exactly the kind of thing Thomas Dolby would do, and he he'd done an album called um, "The Flat Earth," which I would thoroughly recommend to any of the listeners. It's a beautiful album. 
But that's exactly the kind of thing Tom did. And I thought it just had a feeling of something something leaving the ground, something flying. That's where that came from. Um and I, I guess I guess while we're talking about the music, I've got to mention Richard's elephants because oh, in fact, I've also got to mention the fact that when we came to record nothing to declare, we were we were sitting in the control room, and I said to Richard, "Those synthesizers you've got, I said, you can't make a sound that starts off like a gong and ends up like a jet engine." And he looked at me and he went. I put his headphones on, and he just remember this Prophet Five, and he just da, da, da. I went, what you mean like this? And he pressed this key, and it just went, boy, fucking hell! How do you do that in a minute and a half? That would take a lot of people a week. <laughs> and he just—I mean, he's unreal. As a programmer, he's unreal. And so, you know, on the hop, he created this, but barely, merely by me asking for it, he created this sound that starts off like a gong and turns into a jet engine, and we put that on the front. And then when we did Cage, he made all those elephant noises. The, the elephant, the... <laughs> That's all synthesizers. Um, so, so Richard brought brought quite a lot to the album the the only real musical section that i just let that i just let uh let the the guys jam uh was the arabic section on the end of the deep water the uh bang. Mm. that um on the end of that, it just sort of jams out in the end, doesn't it? And then, then that fades away and there's a little end tag, the shallow water running from the deep water at the, at the very end. Um, but I just let them go with that I just because I didn't know what to do at that point. I thought, well, gonna, you know, what do we do now? And uh, it might have been Chucho, actually, who just said, oh, why don't we just jam it, man? Why don't we just... Hey, i tell you what we could do, man. We could just... You know, and off he went. Um, and, uh, you know, only a fool would have argued with him. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tidal wave, tsunami of enthusiasm, you know. <laughs> it's unstoppable. Oh. He, used to ha- he used to have Guarana, you know, that Brazilian brown powder do you know what guarana is it's a kind of a it's legal but it, it's it, it you know it's like a legal organic speed and he used to mix that with orange juice and he used to he used to neck that before before the sessions just to give him an extra bit of edge and um when we did which, which song did we do i think i think when we actually put the backing track down for you dinosaur thing he um we we had a dressing up box, and I used to make them dress up, um, just to get a vibe going. And I still remember Chucho in this long black wig, almost down to his waist. Uh, he'd got his long black wig, and he got one foot up on the he got one foot up on a monitor wedge, looking like a total heavy metal bassist. While uh, while we put you dinosaur thing down, and I think our Dave Greggs dressed up as Robin Hood at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So we, I used to get, you know, I used to get them dressed up. <laughs> that's I, all I can remember. I, 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 do you know what? I think that's enough. <laughs> I actually think that's fine. I'm a little bit scared about any more you might recall. <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I told you about the car crash. Did I, have, have I done all of that about Clemenchucho and the car yes, crash? Yes, you've done the car crash. Yeah, you yeah, did the car crash. God, yeah, you did, you did that. One, that was day one of the rehearsals. Yeah, you, yeah, you did Nightmare. that. She was such a nice lady, man. I mean, she was so nice. He just kept saying he trashed her car and all he could tell me was how, how nice she was. Yeah, he sounds a character. Um, we'll we'll segue into a bit of diary, um, and I th- and I think because we're we're back end of a holidays needing tour, um, and I believe we're going to spend most of this uh, this section in Italy. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion, having briefly looked Those at it. the days. Great, great food, great place to go on holiday. Never work there. That's, that's all I would say about it. God's country. And, I, and I've got a feeling that might come over in the diary section. <laughs> uh, spoilers. Um, right, we'll, we'll do a bit of that and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back together for a few questions after that. Thursday. 7th of November, Madrid to Barcelona, Celeste. Up at 9 o'clock to check out at 9.30. Into the minibus and off to the airport. Flew to Barcelona and was met at the airport by Martin, a freelance English PR hippie and regular geezer. He accompanied us to the Hotel Condor, where we checked in and had lunch, steak and chips care of EMI expenses. Went for a stroll round Barcelona with Jack. There's more evidence of wealth here than Madrid. More shops selling good quality gear, etc. Oh yeah, Barcelona Airport deserves a mention. Its terminal building is huge and white. There's a feeling of space. Palm trees inside mirror a line of palms outside, visible through the huge glass wall. My favourite airport so far. Jack and I got a bit lost and arrived back in time for departure to soundcheck. Chaos ensued from the moment we arrived. First, a press conference attended by journalists for whom 1980 had yet to happen. Second and third, two TV crews who weren't sure what they wanted to do or how. Fourth, Apparent apathy from John Arneson in response to Smick's myriad problems, especially the Italian promoter. This resulted in time between late sound check and show being filled with band meetings and tense phone calls. No wonder I missed the beginning of Splintering Heart. They were televising it. Friday, 8th of November, Barcelona to Nice, Théâtre de Verdure which means theatre in the garden, I happen to know. Woke at 12 and checked out of the Hotel Condor after frantic consumption of coffee on the first floor. Stole my very last apple sweet from reception and climbed aboard the minibus to the airport. The flight at 2 o'clock was delayed till 3 o'clock and we arrived at Nice at 4 o'clock. I had to run back to the plane for my sunglasses 
which had fallen out of my jacket. Arrived at the Hotel Opera at about 4.30, checked into the smallest room of the tour so far and took a walk along the sea. Bought postcards and queued for 20 minutes at the Bureau de Post for stamps. Nice wins the prize for most radical difference of stage sound from soundcheck, cavernous, to show Studio Dead. My voice was not at its best, so I had to struggle to stave off frustration and depression during the gig. I was helped no end, however, by what I've come to regard as the typical French audience. Enthusiastic, soulful, incredibly loud and touchingly emotional. Gerard Drouot, our promoter, had made the journey from Paris. I listed our promoters around the world and told him, in all honesty, he stood out as the only real gentleman. I hope he doesn't doubt my sincerity. He later invited me to Paris to stay whenever I have free time. What a diamond. Gerard brought the band a drink or two at the Meridian Hotel Bar after the show and I eventually collapsed into my cabin-sized bed around three o'clock. It's nice in Nice. Saturday, 9th of November. Nice, day off. Hurrah. Woke at 12 to realise we were still in Nice. Dee had checked out the trains and the only alternative to the 7 in the morning to Pisa is the 7 in the evening. Got up and out and posted a few cards. Walked along the sea and into town. After much mooching in glorious sunshine and fresh autumn air, I settled down to pizza. The best pizza I can ever remember having and better than anything I sampled subsequently in Italy. And coffee on the Avenue Felix Four, 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 who knows, forgive me if you're French, beside the fountains and palm trees, and wrote this. Spent the rest of the day wandering round the town or sitting by the sea. I could definitely live here. We left the hotel at six, accompanied by a stunning sunset, topped by a silver crescent moon. There was some confusion at the station until we realised that the dubious pieces of paper that Dee had been given were, in fact, the train tickets to Pisa. The train wasn't until 2010, so we found a restaurant at the station that sold us curious cartons of stew, which gets hot when you pull a tab underneath. We consumed them later on the train, and it wasn't bad. When the ticket collector pulled back the sliding door to ask to see tickets... Both Mark and I were owling on the luggage racks. He wasn't amused. And after we'd gone to so much trouble. I should probably explain owling. It involves um, sort of crouching in a ball, pulling your jumper over your knees, putting your fingers on top of your feet so that they look like owl claws. Do you get it? Anyway... Arrived at Pisa at three in the morning. The hotel was no distance from the famous Leaning Tower, so we went for a quick walk before retiring. Sunday, 10th of November. Pisa, Teatro Politiama, Casina. Woken around one by a call from Mark, who was going for a walk. Promised I'd be down in 15 minutes, but didn't make it as I needed to shower and phone my girls. Later, bumped into Mark and Pete in the square. 
paid my 5,000 lira and had a look round the domed tower. I didn't find it particularly interesting, other than structurally. All amazing stuff when you consider its age, 12th century. Everything in the square, including the church, looks like it has suffered from subsidence of the ground beneath it, even during construction. Hence the lack of right angles anywhere. I walked up into the town centre over the river and along the street markets selling bric-a-brac. I was attracted to some of the glass lampshades, but didn't feel inclined to barter in a language and a currency I can't understand. Had lunch in a back street family restaurant. Everyone was having Sunday lunch, pasta, pizza with their kids, and seemed conscious of my alien status. Friendly, though. The venue was a bit like a bus garage. The audience was good, about 900, although it was a cold place and no one removed their coats. Mad Jack had a few brain seizures during the gig and was a bit depressed afterwards. We drove back to the hotel to a welcoming party outside, signed a few bits and bobs and went to bed. Monday, 11th of November. Pisa to Genoa. Up at 10. It took an age to check out of the Hotel Duomo, so I bought a few postcards and wrote them in the morning sunshine. We took cabs to the airport and picked up a couple of estate cars, which are to form our transport for the rest of the leg of this tour. The drive to Genoa was uneventful. I bought an Italian Monopoly at a motorway services. Genoa seemed worthy of a more thorough inspection than I was capable of. Sandra from EMI Press faxed me a Daily Express piece from the previous Saturday along with some draft tabloid questions about Christmas. I spent a couple of hours thinking of the answers, although you wouldn't know it. The venue had been changed at the last minute from the original theatre to a cinema-ish theatre round the corner. At the venue, the crew were shaking their heads in dismay on account of the theatre manager, who was nervous about the presence of a rock band in his beloved Gaumont. Needless to say, he thought the sound check was too loud, and he was expecting a riot, as we later discovered during the second song of the set, when a line of uniformed armed police positioned themselves along the front of the stage, backs to us, facing the audience. Terrific. After that, both band and audience lost their sparkle. I returned to the hotel after the show to be treated with disdain by the night staff. Had a row, complained to the management in the morning. I left Genoa thinking I'd be in no hurry to return. Tuesday, 12th of November. Genoa, Rome, Palladium. Spent all day driving to Rome. Arrived at the American Palace Hotel, Armenian Paltis would have flattered it, at six o'clock and left immediately for the show. Once again, the Italian promoter, either by reasons of no choice or otherwise, had done it to us. There had never been a rock show held here before. What started out as a nine o'clock show became a 9.15 show and then a 9.30 show. Apparently the audience weren't in the auditorium because of flooding in the foyer following a leak. We never found out whose. This was to be one of the most disappointing shows I've done with Marillion. The audience was a long way from the band and as a result of the hall shape and follow spot positions I couldn't see the crowd at all. 
I assume it was the same for the whole band. I could have been facing a black wall. If there was any crowd noise, we couldn't hear it from the stage. Before Sunset Town, I downed a beer in an attempt to sort out my attitude, but it didn't help, and I came off stage pretty depressed. Went back to the Armenian poultice and went to bed. Apparently, the crew ended up showering in John Arneson's room, having got him out of bed at half past two. <laughs> I can imagine that conversation. Wednesday, the 13th of November, Rome, Venice. Day off. Up at 9.30 to check out at 10 with Steve R and John A for the drive to Venice. The weather was lousy and the drive uneventful. Finally arrived at the Hotel Michelangelo around 3.30 and discovered to my surprise that the staff were friendly and the rooms were very pleasant. Flowers had been placed in my room for Sue, who was arriving imminently from England. Went out looking for a bottle of Jack Daniels for Trevor by way of a present for services rendered fixing my midi gloves. Couldn't find any, so returned around 4.30, wondering what had happened to Dizzy. When I got up to my room, the phone rang and there she was, calling me from Venice. Her bus from the airport went through Mestre, where the hotel is situated, but she'd not expected me to have arrived yet, and not wishing to spend a few hours in a hotel alone, she'd stayed on the bus and gone to Venice. Quite understandable, but it was frustrating to have her so close and have to wait even longer to be with her. I was reluctant to go out and get a bus to Venice now, so she said she'd return to Mestre once she'd had a cup of coffee. Someone told me where I could get hold of a bottle of JD, so I went back out and bought one for Trevor. When I got back, Diz still hadn't arrived, so I had a couple of beers in the bar. Sue finally arrived at 6.30, so we had a couple of drinks and later went down to eat at the hotel restaurant. P.S. This was typical of the kind of a day. These days now we all have mobile phones. This just wouldn't have happened. Sue and I would have organised our day by text message while I was travelling from Rome. Back then you had to wait. Mobiles and the internet have made it so much easier to tour the world and remain close to those we love. Easy to take it all for granted now. But I remember how alienated Sue and I quickly became when I was away. It was tough. Thursday, 14th of November. Dolo, Venice Theatre Excelsior. Had a bit of trouble getting up owing to slight hangover. We managed to get out about 12 to catch the bus into Venice for my first visit to the city. Sue, of course, had been here yesterday. We disembarked at the Plaza Roma and, armed with Dizzy's previous experience, made our way to the water bus quay and caught the barge to St Mark's Square. There's no describing Venice. You have to go. Or you have to watch Don't Look Now. There's a unique atmosphere to the place, an undercurrent of drowning Gothic history, which unsettles me somehow despite the beauty of the place. Today was foggy and chilly, and mist sat upon the surface of the jade green water. I'm glad I saw Venice like this rather than in the bright sunshine of later visits. We had coffee and toast in St Mark's Square, not bad for ten quid. And trust me, in those days, ten quid was a lot of money. 
walked through the Grand Canal and got lost among the tangly maze of back streets and back canals. Took quite a lot of photographs. Resisted the temptation to buy Venetian glass or clothes from the myriad clothes shops. After a couple of hours we made our way back to the quayside for the water bus back to Plaza Roma where the bosses leave across the Long Bridge which is the only link across the lagoon to mainland Italy. Had more coffee in a cafe by Plaza Roma and photographed the biggest sausage I've ever seen. Back to the hotel for the departure to sound check. Crew complaining about the size of the towels in Italy, etc. Once again, the gig was strange. Lots of men in ties and women in expensive clothes. Where does the promoter find them? After the show, went back to the Michelangelo to receive a bottle of champagne care of the hotel staff. Bless him. Went straight to bed. Dizzy has an early start tomorrow. And we're back. Uh, we're, we're back from that little diary section. A bit more of Holly's Need and Tour. Um, we, which, because we're doing it over the course of these weeks, seems like the longest tour in history, but actually it isn't really, is it? Um, well, that so, was the brave tour. That was a long tour. But anyway. Well, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, yeah. And it probably will feel like a long tour when we get to it. Yeah. Um, so a few questions about Italy, actually. Um, a first one. You weren't overly impressed with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, then? Well, apparently not. Um, I, I find it very hard. I, I think maybe I hadn't realised how old it was because it's something like fourteenth century, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's insanely old. I mean, older than just about anything you find anywhere. Um, and um, yeah, it was very leany. And it was smaller than I expected. You know, I was uh, naively expecting something the size of the Eiffel Tower. So it's not actually that high. But then it is insanely old. And I thought it could have been improved by having a helter-skelter down the side of it. But um, I know why it hasn't got a helter-skelter down the side of it, because it would have snagged your tights. Um <laughs> But you know now, now we're in called blimey trousers and jeans. It, 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 it would be fine. It's something they could con- consider sticking on. Well, called blimey trousers are almost like having the thing you used to sit on to go down a helter skelter just permanently attached to you. Yeah. Well, that granny coat that I that they asked me if I'd got a gun under in Brixton High Street. That was that was exactly the texture of a helter skelter mat. You know the bristly, the, the bristly, yeah. The, the, it was bristly on the outside and purple, and uh, had no buttons. Whatever happened to them? Because those kind of sack things you used to sit on that seems to be. I remember loads of those in my youth. I can't remember the last time I ever came across somebody sitting on a sack to go down something. No, you still can uh, down at. Uh, there's one on the end of the pier at Brighton, and Is there? Um, yeah, yeah, and you can still hurtle, hurtle down it. Lynetta did a thumbing on, uh, I can't get her on Elter Skelters anymore because she, she did a thumbing when she went down the one on the end of the pier in Brighton. What is it with you thumbs know? in your family? Oh, I have a lot of trouble with my thumbs. Has anybody got a working thumb in your ass? 
<laughs> I'm, I'm digressing Kingdom now. Kingdom for a working thumb. Um, the other thing was um, that that Italy tour sounded a bit fraught. They all used to be. Uh, recently, very recently, um, we've got an excellent chap called um, Dave, who, who's known as Dave the Space, who also has a real name that I can't remember. And uh, he's a lovely fella. And in the end, he kind of took over. Um, and our shows are much, much better promoted now than they ever were. But it was a standing joke, really, for years and years that, um, you know, Italians are just the loveliest people. Uh, Italy is God's country. There isn't a more beautiful country on earth, either geographically or, or in terms of its architecture. I mean, Italy's the place as far as I'm concerned. The food's amazing. The coffee's amazing. But you should never work there because I, I, I it, it it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's part of the psyche of the people, but it always comes together. It comes together at the last minute, but but nothing's, not, you know, what you've asked for and what you've sent on the contract that they've signed that you're going to have when your crew arrive in the morning is never there. Um, and it's always on its way. And sometimes it arrives and sometimes it never does. And I've I've got one particular memory of a gig we did in Gen- Genoa. In fact, this might have been several gigs that I've condensed into one show in my head. But I do remember pulling up at an Italian venue. We had this promoter back then called Claudio Trotter. Um, it's a great Which name. is a perfect surname for him because he made Del Boy look like a very together human being. Um and he was a big-time promoter. He did Bowie and Genesis. He did all the big tours. But you wouldn't have known it if you worked with him because everything was ramshackle and thrown together and he, none of the promises were ever kept. Um, and every day was fraught with really bad surprises. And one one particular day I'm thinking of, we, we pulled up, we came overnight, I think it was Gen- Genoa, um, to the theatre we were supposed to play. We'd got two trucks and two buses and we pulled up outside the stage door and there was a note on the door just pinned on the outside of the door with a little hand-drawn map in Biro saying, Gig moved. Um, and, and, you know, and little directions to get to the gig we were now supposed to be playing. So you know you would you wouldn't phone somebody up or write to them to tell them that the venue was changed, would you? Not if not. Well, he didn't. He, you would pin a note to the stage door so that when they get there with their two articulated lorries and their two buses, they'd know where to go next. <laughs> and it used to be like that. You'd arrive, and then you'd get to the you'd get to the gig, and you'd and you know the crew would load in. We would we would usually go to a hotel. I remember once we came back to a sound check at four o'clock, and I came through the back doors of this hall, and all the crew were just sat with their heads in their hands, looking like they're about to top themselves. And you all right, lads? And they're just like, oh, oh. Um, and the lighting engineer, who I think I mentioned, Paul Devine, I've mentioned him, and his wife Trish, who was doing wardrobe. He came up to me. 
come on, have a look at this. And he took me up on stage, and between two of the boards of the stage, there was a little there was a little wire sticking out, like something you'd have to boil a kettle. He, and and three bare wires sticking out of out of that. He said, That's the mains. I said, What? That's the mains for the gig. <laughs> so well, well, <laughs> but we've got a contract here, so there's a thirty amp three phase power supply. Yeah, we have, haven't we? He said you can either have sound or lights. Which would you rather have? Lights are kind of out of the question, but we might be able to, we might be able to run half the PA. So then you got the tour manager on the phone to the promoter saying we need a generator and we need it in the next two hours. We need a bloody great big generator and and it needs to be in the street. So you're going to have to sort it out and organise whatever permits you need for it to sit there or there's no show. And then you've got the promoter going absolutely mental at the tour manager. You could hear him at the other end of the phone. I I was across the room. I can hear this guy screaming at our tour manager. You calling me a liar? Nobody calls me a liar and all of this stuff. I go, well, you, we've got a contract here that says there's a 30-amp three-phase supply and there's a kettle lead. So if that means I'm calling you a liar, then yes, I'm calling you a fucking liar. And he said, no, not even my brother calls me a liar. He, I'm come, I come around there. With, you know, he wanted to come around and shoot him. I said, well, it's not really constructive, is it, in terms of getting his show done? So all of that kind of stuff, and then I, I think I mentioned it somewhere. We did we we did a gig in Italy, and um, oh, the, the the somebody had a shower. The shower was was built onto the dressing room. Someone took a shower, and the the I don't think the drain was connected to anything, and the the, the dressing room just filled up with water. So we were ankle deep in the sewage trying to get changed, you know, to go on stage and then trying to get changed again afterwards. And there was no security. So, so kind of mad fans would just keep appearing in the dressing room while you, while you were trying to keep your ankles out of the water and get your trousers on. And that was Italy and that was just normal. And then you'd get on stage and you, I remember being on stage and I got a bit too close to the edge of the stage and this kid just reached up with a with a with a magic marker with a sharpie and wrote all over my boots. I'd got these little green boots on that was very happy about having. And they were all covered in bloody scribble. I just thought, what's wrong with these people? It's probably what? the lyrics to Grendel. <laughs> probably. Yeah, so Italy was just one of those places just constantly fraught with hell. Um, but having said that, you know, a beautiful place to be and the food's amazing. I mean, it wasn't cheap, obviously. Um, but but lovely place to be as long as you don't work, you know. Just go there and enjoy it. Don't try and do anything because you'll go mad. <laughs> I love the fact that you said that it'd appear and shoot you and it wouldn't be constructive. So it wouldn't be one of those constructive shootings. It'd be one of those negative shootings. We were in Nice, right, once. I don't know if this is in in this particular section. 
because um, I mean, sometimes we do these podcasts before I've read yes. the bit of diary that we've yes. done, and so I, I end up busking a little bit. But we were in we were in Nice once. I thought it might have been the following tour, might have been the Brave tour, and um, we were going to Milan. I think the next day, and we got up we got up that more. We oh no no that was right. We 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 went to Soundcheck in Nice. And this um, tour manager said to us, look, before you go on stage, the production manager needs needs a meeting. So, oh, that's a bit unusual. So we, we, we went in and our production manager said, um, yeah, they, they, they're on strike in Italy at the moment. And there was a trucker's strike. They were, they were objecting to the price of fuel or something. And they'd all gone on strike. There was no uh, petrol or diesel in any of the gas stations because the truckers were on strike. And they were burning trucks. Um, When they came through the tunnels into Italy, the union guys, the union guys, (laughs) if anybody's seen the Italian job, they'll know about the union guys the ones with the jcb that meet you meet you down the tunnel they were meeting people down the tunnel and setting fire to trucks and reuters had been in touch with our production manager and said you shouldn't go you should not go to italy your drivers won't be safe so he'd said it looks like we've got a day off tomorrow we're going to stay in nice and we're not going to go um Anyway, fast forward to three in the morning after we'd done the Nice show and there's a knock on the door of of, uh, our tour manager's hotel room and he opens it and there's two guys there in sunglasses. Hello, we're here on behalf of Claudio Trotter. Uh, I believe you were thinking of cancelling the show, but we'd come to escort you into Italy. And they both had, they were both packing, they were both tooled up. So this, so our poor tour manager is like in his in his boxer shorts, you know, opening the uh, open the door to two guys with guns, saying, "You are coming to Italy." So we went to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be a bit like that. I look forward to when we get to that one. <laughs> uh, we better we better wrap it up because you've got work to do. Um, <laughs> Almost, oh lord, another field to plough. Yes, yes. More coal to hack out of the face. Or you may be going to sit and rack it for a couple of hours. And go, get a ball. Yeah, in the hope that something happens. <laughs> hope that something happens. Um, if you're listening to this podcast in 2024 and you're still waiting for the album, nothing happened. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> no, no, I won't have that. No, it's it's, it's sounding good, actually, yeah. what we've what we've got on the boil at the moment. Yeah. Everybody's tails are up. I sent the boys a lyric last night that, you know, because they, they, they've never any idea what I'm on about. And for years, I never used to tell them just in case they didn't like it. Um, but I've got into the habit lately of uh, of of uh, emailing, emailing them a lyric if I'm working on it and saying, look, this is basically the tree I'm barking up. And I sent one last night and they all, they all came back and said, that's fantastic. So that's nice. That nice. gave me a lift. Yes, yes, on a, yes. Yeah, so on a night when we you don't weren't need, drinking. We don't need to split up for six months just nope. yet. We're, we're all right. We're all right. Everything's good. Right, well, um, 
that's that's chapter 11. Um, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping loads of feedback coming because it's great. Really enjoy uh, the stuff that comes back uh, either through Patreon or through the Facebook page or what have you. So that's fab. And we will uh, we'll speak to you next week, I guess. Yeah. Um, yes, we'll, 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 we'll do that. Um, I was going to try and wrap up with something piffy there, but I haven't got anything. Have you got a nice a nice sign-off? Yeah. Stay safe, you crazy kids. Yeah, that'll do it. Thank you, Robert Lindoff. And Melina Saneva. And thank you, James R. And that's a Gabriella Procio And the lovely Todd Dibble How you doing Todd And thank you Alan Painter And Francine Decoteau Thank you, Monica Diaz And Corina Hurts Thank you, Thomas Alson How you doing, Thomas Alson? Not forgetting Martin Webster and Alessandro Sprana or Grace Byers and Sandra Carpet. Thank you very much for being purple, Gary Kennett. That's not your name. I mean, Gary Kennett with an L. And Linda Williams and Rita Drew. There's only one Ian Illingworth Thank you Carol Stevens And Caroline Wood Thank you Robert Brooke Simon Nash and Simon Smith Ain't it great to be purple
Kevin Wilkins And Alison Redford And Ricky McClure Ricky McClure I might just go for Ricky McClure What a name And Claudia Roll up. Kirkpatrick. I might have forgotten. Alison Redfern. Or I might have mentioned her twice. Before all that. Ricky McClorster But I know where I'm gonna stop this time With Suke <laughs> Suke What do you reckon? Suke Wilton died you can't Well, I nearly got that right. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.